I'd like to let you know that Aussie Meted is sponsored by OPC Health, an Australian supplier of prosthetics, orthotics, clinic equipment, compression garments, rehabilitation devices for doctors, physiotherapists, orthotists, podiatrists and hand therapists. If you'd like to know what OPC Health offers, visit opchealth.com.au and view their range online. Have you ever been hit with a sudden burst of anxiety when asked to comment on an x-ray for a musculoskeletal injury? Well, today's podcast may be of help to you. Good day and welcome to Aussie Med Ed, the Australian medical education podcast, a program born during COVID times to emulate that general chit-chat and banter around the hospital with the idea of educating the medical student and GP alike. I'm Gavin Nyman, an orthopaedic surgeon based in Adelaide, and it's my pleasure to bring Aussie Med Ed to you. And in this series, we've taken a different approach where we ask consultants specialising in their area to address a particular problem and answer the questions on how they would both assess and treat that condition from a medical student or general practitioner's perspective. Once again, welcome to Aussie Med Ed, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast has been produced and pay my respects to the elders both past and present. G'day and welcome to Aussie Med Ed. Today we're going to discuss a medical student's approach to commenting upon radiology, in particular that relating to musculoskeletal injuries. When medical students first start to see radiographs, initially it can be quite overwhelming for them, a seemingly daunting task, especially when they're asked to give a report for the first time in front of a senior. Not only do they have to interpret the radiograph in a systematic fashion, but also manage to concisely communicate key findings to colleagues or seniors. In today's episode, we will attempt to give listeners a systematic approach for looking at a radiograph using several examples of different fractures. In preparation for this episode, I've asked Yue Huang, a final year medical student at the University of Adelaide, to discuss issues that she's identified. Welcome, Yue. Thanks for having me, Dr. Nyman. Yes, it's great to have you on. UA, what issues have you identified when speaking to your colleagues about what they notice or what problems they identify when asked, what do you think of these x-rays? Yeah, so I interviewed some preclinical and clinical medical students to see how they felt about MSK radiographs using the three examples we'll go through later this episode. For the preclinical third-year students who had quite minimal experience with radiographs, I noticed that none of them really acknowledged the patient identifiers provided, and some of them had difficulty interpreting what views were presented. For those who could identify where the abnormality was, they would describe it simply as a fracture or something doesn't look quite right there. Overall, they felt quite overwhelmed and unsure as they had not yet been taught a system to analyse the x-ray and present accordingly. Some of the fourth-year medical students on their orthopaedics rotation were able to accurately pinpoint the pathologies, but also similarly stated that they felt quite apprehensive as there was a lack of structure to their presentation. With that in mind, we've made it the goal of this episode to help provide a system for medical students to follow when looking through x-rays. Thanks, UA. Well, in today's episode, we put those three x-rays, along with the fourth one, which I'm going to comment upon, up on my website, which can be identified via the GoXray, spelled G-O-X-R-A-Y.com.au. These three x-rays can be found at that site, and we're going to discuss a simplified approach to reporting these x-rays. We'll start off, though, with speaking to Dr. Sean Fowler, owner and senior radiologist of Fowler Simmons Radiology, which is based in Hutt Street in Adelaide and in other practices around South Australia. Sure, what advice could you give to the medical student who's faced with the daunting process of commenting upon x-rays for the first time? It, it is daunting at times, particularly when and where normal seems to be unfamiliar as well. So when you're trying to, one, detect pathology and you're not even sure what, what normal is, it, it does make it a bit more difficult. But I think with time, 
that'll become a little bit easier. And I think that that just requires seeing more and more images. But with the individual case in front of you, I think the system is a good way of following it through. I think find what you think is abnormal, which in this setting is is likely to be a fracture because that's what we're particularly looking for. And then just uh, go through the process of, of, of describing it. I think the average film isn't going to have something unusual or, or weird, such as a, a bone tumor or or something next to it. And that, that's something that obviously we need you know we need to look for in addition. But, but for the most part, we're looking for something that's that should be quite gross. So it's either a fracture, whether it be subtle or or obvious, and then it's just a matter of of going through it and and using the then best describe it. Thanks for those excellent comments. So, sure, I put a lot of emphasis on the history and examination to help guide me to where to look for the x-ray. Uh, how do you think this influences you? And do you put a lot of emphasis on the clinical information provided to you in the request for an x-ray? Look, I think the, the hard part with x-rays is that, that there's very lim- often very limited information on the request form. And I agree with you. There are some times where the findings on the x-rays can be very, very subtle and you, and you can't be sure if they're real or not or whether that corresponds to the area of maximal tenderness. So I've got a reasonably good system with, with my staff in the sense that if they're concerned about something, they'll they'll bring it to me before they let the patient go. And I've had quite a few examples where the x-rays have looked very normal but when you see and you examine the individual, you can tell that, that there's something going on in, in an acute trauma setting and often we'll move to, to additional modalities there. And, and I find that ultrasound's a quick and easy way of determining whether there's a fracture when, when it's radiographically occult. But I certainly think the history examination is quite useful when it's available to you for detecting subtleties or giving you more confidence that the the subtle abnormality is a real finding compared to someone who has very limited symptoms and you, you may sort of downplay it in that setting. So, Well, once again, that's fantastic, Sean. I really appreciate that thought, those thoughts. So you, eh, having heard all that and aware of what's going through a medical student's mind when suddenly hit with the question, what do you think of these x-rays? Or would you like to comment on these x-rays? What advice would you give to your fellow medical students? I think the best and easiest way to start is to describe the context of the situation and this also gives you a bit more time to think about the rest of the x-ray. So this would include reporting firstly the patient details, second the date and the indication and third the views that have been given. Whilst doing this you should also keep in the back of your mind the clinical history and the examination if it's provided as this can help guide you as to what the underlying pathology likely is. In MSK the most high yield presentations would be either fractures, issues with the joints such as osteoarthritis or dislocation, or soft tissue swellings and other irregularities. If you then see a fracture, you can elaborate by describing the following. Number one, the pattern of the fracture. Is it oblique, transverse, spiral, etc.? The second would be the location. Thirdly, is it a displaced fracture or a non-displaced fracture? If the fracture is non-displaced, then we can conclude describing the fracture there. If it is displaced, then we further describe the fracture using the STAR mnemonic. STAR standing for S for shortened or impacted, T for translation, A for angulation, and R for rotation. Finally, we look at the soft tissues and appreciate any surrounding soft tissue swelling, open fractures, surgical emphysema, and so on. The easiest radiograph would be a non-displaced fracture, to which the summary of the findings would conclude there. If, however, the fracture is displaced, then we can look at the four different ways it can be displaced. It's important to highlight that whenever we talk about displacement, it will always be in reference to the most distal segment of the bone and how it has moved in reference to the proximal segment. 
talking about shortening or impaction, this is when the ends of the fracture fragment overlap. Translation, which can be likened to the movement of the fracture, is looking at the distal piece and seeing whether it moves anteriorly, posteriorly, medially, or laterally. Angulation is the change of the angle of the distal piece when compared to the proximal bone, which can be described in many ways. This can include medial, lateral, volar, dorsal, valgus, or varus. So once again, to summarize, the system to follow is as such. Number one, patient details. Two, the date and indication. Three, the views that have been given to summarize the context. Then move on to the fracture itself. What is the pattern? What is the lo- Where is the location? Is it displaced or non-displaced? If it's non-displaced, then we conclude describing the fracture there. If it is displaced, further describe using the star mnemonic. And then finally, look at the soft tissue and appreciate any soft tissue swelling, open fractures, or surgical emphysema. Excellent. That's such a brilliant summary. And I think it's a great system which medical students should refer to when actually thinking about how they should report an x-ray. Once again, I'd emphasise the importance of taking on a clinical history, which will actually help guide you. But actually, certainly, I think we should start looking at some x-rays now. So if we refer to those x-rays on goxray, goxray.com.au, I'm going to ask you, A, to comment on the x-ray number one, which is that of an ankle. Now, for the listener at home, they may wish to pause the podcast while they have a look at the x-ray. I'm going to ask you, A, to have a look at it for me. You, A, how would you describe this x-ray? Do you want to make a comment about it, please? Well, looking at this x-ray and going through the system, I would say as follows. The patient details is Rod Smith, a 35-year-old. The date and the indication is 2nd of February 2020 after tripping over after a night out. The views that have been given is an AP mortis view of the right ankle. And the most obvious abnormality is an oblique fracture located at the distal fibula. The fracture itself is non-displaced. And because it is non-displaced, we can conclude the description of the fracture here. For soft tissue swelling, we can appreciate some that's occurring over the lateral malleolus. Aside from this, I think it's also important to note that for any ankle fracture, we want to see if there's been any translation of the talus laterally, called the talus shift, which would be demonstrated by a wider gap between the talus and the medial malleolus compared to the space between the talus and the lateral malleolus. The ankle, when it's in a normal anatomical position with no talus shift, the talar dome should be equal distance the whole way around the joint line. If a talus shift presents, then this indicates instability of the fracture and may require operative management, as if it is left unmanaged, it can lead to osteoarthritis later in life. In this particular x-ray, there is no tailor shift. So after going through all of these findings using the system, we'd suggest presenting the x-ray succinctly as such. This is an AP mortis view of the right ankle belonging to Rod Smith, taken on the 2nd of February 2020. There is an oblique fracture located on the distal third of the fibula that is non-displaced with no talus shift present. That's absolutely brilliant, UA. And look for the listener listening to the podcast, obviously we've made up the patient's name and the history as we go along, but that would normally be provided by the uh, person asking you to comment upon the x-ray. Look, are there any other things worth mentioning about ankle fractures that would be of use for the listeners? Yeah, Definitely. Whilst we're on the topic of ankle radiographs, I think there are also two other important concepts to cover, which would be the Weber classification and the Ottawa ankle rules. The Weber classification applies to the location of the fibular fracture and is divided into Weber A, B, and C. It's based on where the fracture is relative to the syndesmosis. A is below, B is at the level, and C is above the level of the syndesmosis. The importance of this classification is that it can give insight to how stable the fracture is and how likely operative management is required. 
whether A fractures tend not to need operative management as they are quite stable, whereas B and C are more likely to require operative intervention. Now, following the Ottawa ankle rules, there's another set of high-yield clinical pearls to know for ankle fractures and imaging. There are a set of rules that determine whether or not a patient is likely to require radiographic imaging for any ankle or midfoot injuries. With proper application, its sensitivity can be as high as 97.5% according to Radiopedia. One half of the component looks at ankle fractures, whereas the other looks at midfoot fractures. Patient qualifies for ankle radiographs if they have any of the following three. One, point tenderness at the distal 6 centimetre or tip of the lateral malleolus. Two, point tenderness at the distal 6 centimetres or tip of the medial malleolus. Or three, an inability to bear weight for more than four steps immediately after the injury or an EV. Similarly, a patient qualifies for foot radiograph if they have any of the following three. Point tenderness at the base of the fifth metatarsal, point tenderness at the navicular bone, or once again, inability to bear weight in ED or after the injury. Now, knowing this and reviewing the x-ray from before, what do our listeners think about the classification of the fracture? Yes, it's a Weber B. Once again, a brilliant summary of it all. Look, I think the Ottawa rules are really important in the sense that they help justify why or why not you haven't ordered x-rays on a patient. I think of all the broken bones I've seen over my years, ankle fractures can sometimes be the more difficult ones to assess, but usually the ones that are bad enough that you think there might be a fracture, often there is. So the Ottawa rules almost always apply in that scenario. But if you follow them appropriately, then at least you can justify why you've done them or why you haven't done them if they don't actually comply with the Ottawa rules. And that's actually good for medical legal perspective as well. Okay, why don't we move on to the next x-ray. For the listener, I'd like you to, once again, just we might wish to pause and go to the goxray.com.au website and review case two. Otherwise, uh, let's move on to it. In this situation, we're going to say this is a lady of Mary Hall, a 65-year-old lady who presents to ED after a fall in the kitchen and occurred on the 7th of February 2022, just a few days ago. So once again, that's obviously a make-believe patient, but would you like to comment upon the x-ray that we see here, UA? Sure. So once again, using our system, we identified patient details. It belongs to Mary Hall, 65-year-old. The date and the indication is on the 7th of February, 2022, after a fall. The views that have been given is an AP view of the pelvis. And the most obvious abnormality is a short oblique fracture located on the left neck of femur. The fracture is displaced. And because it is displaced, we go on and describe it using the star mnemonic. In this case, it is shortened and angulated in a valgus direction. So we can present the radiograph as follows. This is an AP pelvic radiograph belonging to Mary Holt taken on the 7th of February, 2022. There is an oblique baby cervical fracture on the left neck of femur. Additionally, there is shortening and valgus angulation of the most distal segment of the fracture. For bonus points, we can also comment on the right hip joint. And note that there may be bilaterally some joint space narrowing, indicating some prior mild hip osteoarthritis. This can be useful as an option of surgery is an arthroplasty, and this could affect the type of management that's performed by the surgeon. For more subtle fractures of the hip, another radiological feature that can be examined is Shenton's line. When there is a fracture, there is disruption of Shenton's line, which is the loss of contour that's normally continuous from the medial line of the femoral neck along the inferior edge of the superior pubic glamour. Now for some other additional high-yield tips on hip fractures. Hip fractures can be widely classified into intracapsular and extracapsular fractures. Those that occur above the intertrochanteric line are intracapsular and those that occur below are considered extracapsular. 
Intracapsular fractures have a higher risk of avascular necrosis and non-union as the location can interrupt the blood supply that arises from the femoral circumflex arteries. Extracapsular fractures, on the other hand, tend to have sufficient blood supply to fracture sites and therefore seem to have a better fracture healing and improved prognosis. An important classification for intracapsular fractures to know is the garden classification. Garden classifications say stands from stage 1 to stage 4, and the higher the stage of garden classification, the higher the risk of avascular necrosis. The four stages are defined as follows. Stage 1 is an incomplete fracture line or an impacted fracture. Stage 2 is a complete fracture line that's non-displaced. Stage 3 is a complete fracture line with partial displacement. And stage 4 is a complete fracture line with complete displacement. There are more intricacies regarding the specific surgical management of the different types of fractures, but as a general rule of thumb, there are options of cannulated screw, hemi or total arthroplasty for intracapsular fractures, and for extracapsular fractures, there are options of using a dynamic hip screw or intramedullary nails for internal fixation. Well, once again, I think you've just absolutely nailed that, UA. A brilliant summary and a great way to present it. I've got a final challenge for you, and this is the last two x-rays in labelled 3A and 3B. The fourth x-ray I'll go on to myself, but this one is a 3A and 3B. It's a wrist injury, and look, I'll ask UA to have a look at those. And for the listener, once again, you might be just checking in, go to goxray.com.au to have a look at these x-rays. These two belong to a Isabella Woods, a 35-year-old female who fell onto her outstretched left hand on the 2nd of July. What do you notice about these, UA? Yeah, so I would say that this is an AP and lateral view of the left wrist belonging to Isabella Woods, taken on the 2nd of July, 2021. I'd say there is a comminuted transverse fracture located at the distal radius with shortening and dorsal angulation of the distal segment. The radial fracture appears to be extra-articular in that the fracture does not appear to involve the joint surface. There is also an ulnar styloid fracture, which is also displaced. I can also appreciate some soft tissue swelling present on both the medial and the lateral sides of the wrist. Excellent. Look, I think you've done a fantastic job summarising a simple approach to bony injuries, UA, and I thank you very much for coming on Aussie Med Ed. I'd also add that it's very important to review the joints as well, and if the listener looks at the final x-ray, x-ray number four, on the website, once again, goxray.com.au, they'll see an x-ray of a 75-year-old gentleman, Ray Brown, who's presented to his GP with pain at the base of his thumb and radiating up the forearm. We look at image number four. These ones are really uh, one for the more experienced player, and once you've got a bit more understanding of looking at x-rays, and really these are things that you learn with experience. But this guy apparently had a lot of footy injuries in his youth, but he's otherwise been fairly well. If you look at them, a little bit more tricky to interpret because there are multiple bones in the wrist. So looking at the bones, there's no obvious fracture, but there are some lucencies in the scaphoid and along the radiostolo, which probably are just normal in this scenario. More important features here, however, are the narrowing of the joints at the base of the thumb with osteophyte formation and subchondral sclerosis. This also occurs at the radioscaphoid region with the scaphoid hidden in radius with bone on bone. Thus, there's arthritis at the base of the thumb, known as carpometacarpal arthritis, and there's also arthritis at the radioscaphoid region, which most likely causes a tear of the scapholunate ligament. This is what's known as a slack wrist or scapholunate advanced collapse. If I was asked to comment on this x-ray, I'd state it was a PA x-ray of the left hand of a Ray Brown, a 75-year-old gentleman, taken on the day which was provided to us. I'll comment on the most obvious feature being the arthritis involving the joint space narrowing of the, and subchondral sclerosis and osteophyte formation at the carpometacarpal region. And for bonus points, may comment on the radioscaphoid arthritis with a minor degree of hyperextension of the metacarpal phalangeal joint also at the thumb noted. This is the sort of x-ray the medical student worries about for the exam, but most examiners will find it really fairly straightforward 
and we would probably not give such a difficult one which has two areas of arthritis. Well, Sean, having heard all that, what do you think about our, our way of presenting and do you have any comments to make? Yeah, and I think this has been an excellent presentation and, and a really good approach on, on, on how to, to go through the description of both a hip, wrist and, and an ankle x-ray. I think the key is probably to, to make sure that you, you get a chance to, to see all the views. I think some of, some of these ones that we've, that we've discussed, we've, we've only got limited views of them. And so, so, sometimes fractures can be seen on one view and not on the other. I think that that's key. Uh, obviously, making sure, and we commented on that at the start, was making sure it's the correct patient. And then the, the, the system of describing that, you know, look, as an orthopedic surgeon, you, you know better than I that that sort of description is important, particularly when making decisions on how, how the patient should be treated. And I you know, would 100% agree with how it's been presented. I think sometimes the risk with, with all x-rays is having a, a satisfaction syndrome. And, and once you've seen one abnormality, to, to fail to, to look at others. And I think that's that, that's the, probably the key I probably wanted to stress is once you've picked the abnormality and described it, just make sure that you, you sort of review the edges of the film and every, everywhere else and make sure that there's no additional abnormalities such as additional fractures or there's other, other findings of significance. Um, shoulder x-ray, it's very easy to ignore the, uh, the lung fields that are on the view. And if you do that every time, you're going to miss a lung cancer or a pneumonia or a pneumothorax. And similarly, and you know, in the pelvis, you can you can focus on the hip and, and fail to appreciate sacroiliac joint pathology. So, you know, there's a process of looking at where you think the abnormality is, but you should also, you know, you've got the whole film there, and unfortunately, these X-rays that, that they hang around in posterity, and they'll come back and bite you if you don't look at everything that is available to you. Excellent. It's like I always emphasise: it's always important to be a detective and think laterally, and not just sit back on your laurels. Look, that's brilliant, Sean. Look, thank you very much for coming on Aussie Med as well. So, look, I'd like to once again thank our, so for the listeners, our two presenters. First of all, Sean Fowler from Fowler Simmons Radiology. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite. And, of course, our Year 6 medical student, Yue Huang, who's done a fantastic job in summarising the different ways of presenting uh, x-rays to, for a medical student to make it easier for them on their day when they get hit with that important question, what do you think of these x-rays? Thanks again, Yue, for coming on board. Thanks for having me, Dr Norman. It's been brilliant having you here. And once again, I'd like to thank everyone. Have a good and safe week. I'd like to thank you very much for listening to our podcast. I'd like to remind you that the information provided today is just for general medical advice and does not pertain to one particular medical condition or one way of treating a particular condition. If you have any concerns about information raised today, please do not hesitate to contact your general practitioner for further information. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and please don't hesitate to give us a like or tell your friends about it or give us a positive review. We look forward to presenting another podcast to you in the near future on a different topic. Until then, stay safe. Thank you very much.